right, Robert, uh, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, Christian and I, we, we haven't done the actual episode yet. We wanted to contact you beforehand so you could get on with your evening. Um, but so, it's, you know, it's a really fascinating subject to us. Christian and I will give you a little bit of a background on, on him and I. We grew up together. Uh, we've been best friends for forever. I mean, we, since fifth grade, probably. Um, it was eighth grade. You exaggerate. <laughs> whatever. Um, and, you know, we kind of got interested in the, the paranormal, I would say, probably in high school. And we've, did, we've done a few ghost hunts and stuff like that. Nothing crazy. Um, and so we started this podcast together because he moved away to, uh, he actually is living in St. Louis, but he's moving to New York soon. And I'm in Indianapolis, um, Avon, actually. So you're probably familiar with that area. And so we do this podcast to kind of stay in communication with one another to continue our friendship. Um, and so that's kind of a, a brief overview of us. Um, so we're super thankful for you coming on here tonight and taking the time. I know I bothered you work a little earlier, but um, yeah. So no, no problem. Yeah. So I guess the first question, I guess that I have, and I think Christian probably does too, is. So you live at, you know, the Fox Hollow farm. So my first question, um, how long have you been living there and kind of what, what triggered you or what intrigued you to sort of like purchase this property or, you know, like what drew you to this sure. property? Well, we've been here for almost 10 years now and we were looking for a place with a uh, property for horses. We've always had horses and you know, uh, a horse person's dream is to to have the horses uh, where you live so you don't have to travel to the barn or uh, stables. So we came across it in an MLS, a multiple listing, and it was close to where we used to live, which was a little south of here, closer to Indianapolis. And we uh, uh, looked at the MLS. It was, it was expensive, but, uh, you know, it wasn't out of the question. So I called my realtor, Andy, and I said, hey, uh, can we go up and look at this place? So we, uh, he arranged for that to happen. We got here, and the first thing we noticed was the gate was chained shut. And the grass in the pastures out front were, you know, four feet tall. This was sometime in late May of eh, about 10 years ago. And, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, what's, what's going on? Why? Why does it look like this? So we, we opened the gate, got down to the house, and the house is clearly empty. There's no one living in it. Uh, paint's peeling, uh, weeds everywhere, and, uh, uh, you know, the, you just can't figure out why. It's in a very desirable part of town, and it's a beautiful property. It's not just flat farmland. It's rolling, um, and it has this uh, house. and two horse barns and another car garage so it's it's uh it's just odd it just seemed very very odd so i asked andy my realtor i said oh andy what's going on here why why is no one living here and of course at that point uh you're asked they have to tell you well this is the place do you remember the story i think is actually what he said <laughs> do you remember the story about the guy up here that that it was killing guys and, you know, burying them in the backyard, essentially. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. It had been about, at that point, about, that all happened in 96. So, at this point, it was maybe 12 years, 10, 12 years uh, after that. So, so did you know, so, like, this was the property uh, beforehand, before you I, were in contact with your realtor? No. Okay. No. no. Had you lived? No, in it was. Indianapolis area yeah. during that time period back back in the mid yeah I was oh yeah yeah we had always been around and I remember the story on the news but you know and truthfully at the time I didn't pay that much attention to it and that was really farther north than we ever ventured too frequently and there was a lot of conflicting information about the actual location um you know this was the internet was not quite as uh you know, you just didn't go to the internet as much, and and the address was not well known. So uh, I did know, I had heard about it, but so when we got here, um, you know, the first question you you have to ask yourself is, 
does it bother you enough to live there? You know, there's a lot of places where people die, hospitals, nursing homes, but there are very few places left standing where this many people were murdered. And most of these places get torn down. If you think about, you know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment, uh, John Wayne Gacy's house in Chicago, these places get torn down because they, obviously a lot of bad things happen there. It develops a stigma. They get a stigma. It's actually, in real estate terms, it's called a psychologically impacted or or a stigmatized property. (laughs) So we went ahead and we said, well, we're here. We might as well look at it. So we, uh, the first thing we noticed immediately when we walked in the house, well, it's a beautiful house. It's, uh, I know, I think Trevor, you've been here, right? I haven't actually been to the location. Funny enough, I'd actually, um, a guy by the name of Bill Richardson, he'll probably listen to this. And so shout That's out to right. you. Yeah. He's the one who actually yeah. uh, recommended you to me. So shout out to him. Yeah, go ahead. Well, um, it's a beautiful house. Uh, it was built in 1977 by a guy named David Markstone, Dr. Markstone, and he had built it for his family. And this was way out um, you know, in the country at that point, about 20, or about oh, 16 miles north of Indianapolis. Right. And this house was built with no budget, just beautiful construction. They, they told me that the house was a million dollars in 77 just to build the house. So that's the first thing that you notice. The second thing that we noticed it smelled. There there were raccoons living in the attic. Mm. The house had been vacant for about five years because, you know, it was a difficult sell. Um, Of course, the history of of what had happened there or here. And um, but the real deterrent to the property is the upkeep. It's a tremendous amount of work. It's, uh, you know, almost 20 acres of, of grass and things like that. It's just a lot, a lot of work. So that's yeah. the real deterrent to the property. The realtor said it bothered about, the history bothered about 50% of the people. Huh. So we looked it over and uh, needed a lot of work. And uh, we decided that it would, you know, it wouldn't bother us. So we made an offer. And this went on for about three years. And back and forth. The guy was just very unrealistic about it. So you deliberated back and forth within negotiations and, and, and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah, for about three years. And apparently <laughs> that's an extensive, that that's an extensive a, amount of time. It, it really is. But the guy, you know, he thought he was going to clean up on it. But, mm-hmm. um, and the well, real if, mistake... If you don't the, mind me interjecting. The, if you don't mind me interjecting. Yeah, so you said there was about a a duration of time of 10 to 12 years uh, between right. you attempted to purchase the property and, uh, right. and, and the actions Thank or the, the, the bodies that were buried there, or at least his, his, um, his suicide, 96. So what was the, do you, do you have any idea of the motivation for the previous individual for purchasing the property or is that unbeknownst to you? No, no. Um, no, the, the, what had happened was the original owners, the Markstones that I mentioned, had sold. They had lived here about eight years. They had sold the house to uh, the chairman of Mayflower, Mayflower, the moving company. Yes. The he's the one that actually sold. Yeah. He's the one that actually sold it to Herb. Herb had purchased it on contract. Mm. But when all this came to light in 96, um, wife couldn't pay for the place. It reverted back to uh, the, the Mayflower guy. Well, when. Uh, a guy bought it as an investment uh, from from that from that guy, and he's the one that we actually ended up buying it from. But he uh, never lived here, and that was a mistake. That's the real mistake that was made because when you came here the first time we did, and it's vacant, and it's kind of run down, and you know there's weeds ever, and then you find out people were killed here. It it can be creepy. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it would put a lot of people off. And we just were the right people that didn't put off that much, but most of the people it would put off. It was very, very off-putting because of the history and the condition. Huh. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess my next question would be, um, so, so prior to this, did you have any 
um, you know, did, were you ever involved with like paranormal? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, are you a skeptical no. person or anything like that? Yeah. Go, yeah. No, no, I, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm very skeptical. Um, so you're, you're, you we actually have sanity. To some extent. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I have a scientific background, so, you know, I tend to want proof of things, and um, we were here for about a year, and nothing really happened, uh, and I assume you want to talk about the paranormal thing. Yeah, I mean, Christian and I both, we really love history and stuff, too, so, I mean, if you have any yeah. more, like, cool facts that hopefully, people Hopefully, this know. discussion has been somewhat linear, but, yeah, we're, we're ready to delve in the paranormal anytime you want. <laughs> okay. Well, we were here for about a year, and like I said, it was it was uh, quiet. And you know, I, when we were here initially, I thought a little bit more about the killing and what happened here. And you know, if you go into the basement, you know, these guys were supposedly killed in the basement in the swimming pool area. And uh, you know, I, I thought about it quite a bit going down there when we first got here. But as time went by, it, it just became. I didn't think about it as much, but we were here about a year and I was on the back side of the house painting and my wife hollers up to me. I was on a ladder and she said, there's a guy in the woods in a red shirt. So I get down off the ladder and because of the history of the property and because it was vacant for so long, people would just come by Mm -hmm. and they would come down the driveway uninvited. If I don't keep the gate shut, we do have a gate, but, um, if I left it open for any reason, people would come down the drive, and I thought it was another one of those people that she was referring to. So I get down on the ladder, and I said, "Well, where is he?" And she said, "Well, he's gone." And I said, "Where did he go?" And she said, "Well, I didn't tell you, but that's the second time I've seen it." And I, I said, "So what?" And she pointed to three trees off to the west side of the property, and she said, "A guy in a red shirt." Um, she described him as having a Marine-style crew haircut. He was walking away, and she literally thought to herself, he's going to hurt himself walking into those trees, and he walked in and just disappeared. Walked literally into the trees. Disappeared. But she said he didn't have legs. He was sort of see-through from the waist down. Um, and I made a joke about something, you know, uh, you know, she. It never told me anything like this. We've been married a long time, over 30, 30 years, and she never told me anything like that before. So I didn't know what to make of that. So a little more time goes by, and we had rented the in-law quarters, which is above the garage, to a, a young guy that I knew that needed a place to live. And he got on the Internet. He's searching around, and he finds that a paranormal group had come to the house a year before we had moved in, while the house was vacant, apparently, this group had come to the house. There was a caretaker that lived here, sort of, he didn't do much, but he lived on the property. And kind of, <laughs> you know, we called him Crazy Dave, but he just sort of was here. But apparently for 50 bucks, he'd let you come in and do whatever you wanted. So, uh, Joe, this young guy I rented the apartment to, um, gets on the internet and finds out this group has come out. Well, he says, you need to call them. You need to call them. So I said, okay, fine. So I called the guy and he says, uh, I said, look, you know, we live here now. I said, did you find anything while you were here? And he says, well, yeah, that's one of the most haunted houses in Indiana. And of course, at that point I have to ask, what, what are you talking about? He says, well, haven't you seen anything? And I said, well, you know, I haven't seen anything. I said, my wife saw something. And on the phone, he says, let me tell you what she saw and where she saw it. He said, you look at your master bathroom window at the west side of the property. She said, or he said, he saw a guy in a red shirt with no legs. And I, of course, I said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what she saw. At that point, he says, well, look, we would love to come out and do a full investigation for you at no cost, confidential. And at that point, I, you know, I just, we were trying to distance ourselves from this history because, well, frankly, it hurts the property value, <laughs> you know. So we thought, well, you know, if we don't talk about this history, you know, all this will go away and the value will go way back up and we'll all walk into the house that. 
Precisely. So, it's a logical thought process. Yeah. But the reality is, it's always that place. You can't get away from it. You can change the name of the farm, which we didn't, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't help. Even the local police up here, they still refer to it as Brownmeyer. <laughs> so, well, we've been here longer than anybody else ever, and it's still Brownmeyer. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, and it, it appears to me you still have a pulse, and, and you're still able to... Oh, yeah. To breathe and yeah. whatnot, so you you definitely survived oh, yeah. uh, your tenure at the property. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So at that point, I told the guy, "No, we're we're not really interested in that." I said, "You know, we're, we're trying to forget all this. This could just drag all that back up." So he said, "Fine. If you ever need anything, call me." Well, about six months later, the same guy in his paranormal group called me and he said, "Look." Uh, there's a paranormal conference in town. I got people from the History Channel, the Travel Channel, and the Sci-Fi Channel. They're all here in town. That's awesome. But it's got to, and we would love to do an investigation for you, but it's got to be this week. So, I don't know. Something just clicked, and I, I just said, yeah, okay, fine. So, that I called my wife. She had gone to Colorado for this medical conference. And I called her and I said, you know, that uh, on the phone, I said, hey, the Ghostbusters are coming out Saturday night. You'll be you'll be back in town. And she says, good. Maybe they'll pick up on what I pick up on. <laughs> and once again, I have to ask, what are you talking about? She says, well, there's a place in the house I don't like to go. I said, where? And she said, well, I don't want to tell you because you'll tell them. <laughs> and of course, at that point, I promised her, I said, look, I won't tell them what's going on. Where is it? So very reluctantly, she tells me, you're ba- in your bathroom in front of the closet. I said, what's wrong? She said, I just don't like going in there. The hair just stands on the back of my neck. Something tells me I shouldn't go in there. I said, okay, all right, I won't tell them. So that Saturday, this a large group came, came to the house, um, about 30 people. I recognized some of them from some TV shows and things like that. Now, supposedly, they're all from out of town. They weren't told where they were going. I was not allowed to tell them anything, history, about the property. And they were going to do their investigation and tell me what they thought was happening here. So first thing that happened was three psychics came. Now, I never talked to a psychic in my life. There was a woman, her son, who was about 18, and then there was an older guy who was supposedly a psychic. The first thing that happened was when they came in the house, the woman psychic points to the top of the stairs and said, there's a male spirit just standing at the top of the stairs, just glaring at me. Wow. He, he's not happy we're here. And of course, I can't do this. Yeah. Then her son, the first thing he says is, and he sort of motions to the west side of the house and says, there's a room in this house for a man. Room for a man that I want to see. So... Of course, that's my bathroom. <laughs> Room for a man. That's exactly the way he said it. So this, they set up their equipment. This went on until about 3 o'clock in the morning. And like I said, I'm not allowed to ask questions or anything. So finally, at 3 o'clock in the morning, all this is winding down. And Deborah, the one psychic, uh, I can now ask questions. I said, what's going on here? She said, well, there's five spirits in the house, four of which are victims of a killer. Wow. And she said, the killer's here. She said, he's standing over by the window right now. He stands by the back window and looks out over the backyard. And, of course, I can't see any of this. And then she goes into great detail, things about the killer, things about the victims, very precise things. And, you know, it's all on the Internet. There's even a book. There was a book written in 97 about this. So I just, it it was a little too... Uh, for lack of a better word, corny for me. Yeah. Because I knew all of it. It's all public knowledge. So a couple of days went by, and I had met one of the investigators who I felt was a little bit more on the level, wasn't as dramatic as these other people. So I called her about midweek that following week and said, do you know a psychic that maybe could come out here that doesn't know the story, maybe, you know, hasn't heard about it? And she said, yeah, I think there is. And they brought a lady up the following week from Mooresville, Indiana. And her name was Myrna. And she was probably in her 60s. 
Native American Indian, jet black hair. And she came to the house and she said, what do you want me to do? I said, just walk around. And she walked around the house for about 20 minutes, didn't say a lot. And she said, well, I'm drawn to the backyard. I'm sorry. She said, um, uh, I'm drawn to the backyard. And I said, okay. Now, she walked out the front door, around to the back side of the house, into the woods, and stood exactly in the spot where the killer had burned some stones. Oh, wow. And you can't, you can't tell that now. It just looks like wood. Mm-hmm. It's been so long. And she stood there for about five minutes, and she said, I see fire. Not that you're going to have a fire. She said, the fire has already happened. And then she said, and the word she used was entombment. She said, I feel people are buried here. Holy crap. And I didn't, I didn't say yes or no. Um, I didn't want to give her any ammunition. So um, she came back in the house, walked around a little bit more. And finally, we could sit down at the table. And I said, all right, Marna, what's going on here? She said, well, on my way here, she said, I call on my spirit guides. And she had taken some notes on a tablet. And she had written the letters M.M. I said, what's M.M.? She said, mass murder. She said, people were killed here. A lot of people. She said, there's at least four spirits in this house. And then she said, your bathroom. (laughs) And of course, at that point, I said, all right, Myrna, time out. What's wrong with my bathroom? You don't like my bathroom. These other people don't like my bathroom. My wife says, what's going on? And she said, well, your bathroom is a portal. Oh, wow. Of course, I have to ask what that is. She said, well, a portal, and the way she described it is, it's an area in the house where the spirits come and go from this world where we are to where they are. She described them as being stuck. She said that when you die, and sometimes when you die violently, you don't know you're dead. And these spirits have not gone to the light. So they get trapped. And when they do something that we can see or hear, they're in our world. And then other times they're not. So, I, of course, I said, well, get rid of it. And she said, well, I can't. She said, portals can open in houses for a lot of reasons. She said, certainly negative events like happened here could open a portal. And then she said she's had a couple fighting in a house open a portal. So she said that she couldn't close it. But that could explain why my wife doesn't like going in there. And what I've learned over living here for these years and talking to many, many different psychics and people that supposedly know is that some people have what is termed the light. And the spirits appear to people they feel can help them. My wife may have a little bit of it. I don't have it. But anyway, um, that's kind of what's going on at the house. Now, the things that happen that we can see or hear Um, The most prominent thing that happens is the door knocking. Um, The door to the apartment, or we call it the in-law quarters, um, has a heavy horse head door knocker on it. When Joe, the renter, lived in the apartment, over 35 times the door knocker knocked on its own. And my youngest son, William, that's his room now, um, it still happens to him. So the door knocking. And then, of course, the guy in the red shirt, and then the bathroom. So really, the two things that cause me to really believe stuff's happening is, you know, my wife told me about the room, bathroom, and then a total stranger told me about the bathroom. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the man in the woods in the red shirt. Not the bathroom, I'm sorry. The, woods in the, the man in the woods in the red shirt. And then, of course, the, uh, the, uh, the bathroom. Uh, and then these other people didn't like the bathroom. So I, things just happen here we can't explain. They unplug a sweeper. They don't like sweeping. They'll unpull the sweeper cord right out of the wall. They move stuff on a shelf from one end to the other. It's nothing malevolent or bad. It's just they want you to know they're here. So, so now, Robert, in, in your perspective, I'm, I'm just going to yeah. ask you this. So, um it sounds like there's some energy transfer, um, whatever, whatever you're experiencing. Do you think it's, it's just that? It's just an energy transfer that people existed there and it's not spiritual whatsoever? Or do you think there's a spiritual component associated with the haunting? Um, well, I, you know, I'm not that, an that expert. Man. I don't know what. That's to say if you yeah. believe in it to begin with. 
whatever is occurring. I believe there are spirits all around us constantly. I One other thing I should mention that did happen, and a lot of this was made a little bit more clear, about three years ago, I was out on the drive, and um, I left the gate open, which I normally don't do, and a car came down the drive. And it was a young guy, and it turned out to be his sister. And he said, do you live here? And I said, yes. And he says, can I talk to you? And I said, about what? He said, well, the spirits brought me here. You know, and at this point, I know I'm going to write off a couple of hours, but I, I agreed. I said, sure, I'll talk to you. So I met him over the house. And he said that um, uh, he didn't know the address, but he is a physical, he's a medium. And the spirits brought him here. And I said, why? He said, well, when you have groups, ghost groups, psychics that come here, they're making contact with the spirits, but they're not helping them move on. And I don't recall the word he used. It may have been frustrated, but the spirits needed help moving on to the light. So I, of course, said, well, do it. Help them. And he says, I can't. But then as we're talking, he says, who's Gene? And I, at the moment, I just couldn't think who Gene was. He said, no, it's your wife, mother's sister. And Jean, she's here. Wow. Her spirit is here. No kidding. And then he says, who's Helen? And then once again, at the moment, I just couldn't think of who Helen was. He says, Helen is your wife's mother's best friend. And <laughs> oh, Helen. <laughs> and there is no way on earth this guy would know those two things. It's not in any obituary. It's not in any public record. That, that's so right. this guy down my spine right now. That's, that's incredible. Well, I've got one better. So his stock went up with me. And so um, a few months, well, back last May, actually, a girl from Las Vegas, Shannon LeGro, into the, into the fray radio. I don't know if you know Shannon. I'm not sure. Uh, she does a radio show. She does a radio show in Las Vegas. She came to visit us last May. When she was here, Brian, the medium I was talking about, he, he came to answer questions for her. While they were both here, my youngest girlfriend had come over, and I'd only met this girl once. Brian, the medium, saw her and says, I need to speak to her. So I motioned for her to come over. I said, Aaron, come over. And Brian, the medium, says, I have a message from your grandmother. Your grandmother wants me to tell you she really loved watching the gold finches on the back porch with you. And the girl screamed. She said, <laughs> my grandmother loved watching the gold finches on the back porch. Wow. There is no way on earth he would know that. Mm, man. So Brian says that we're not alone anywhere here on earth. There are spirits all around us. And what we have here are some victims of the killer that are still here and they haven't made the trip alike. <laughs> and he says, I need to get, he says, he can't do it, but he says, we need somebody special. And he recommended like an Indian shaman or something to help them move on. Um, we've actually had an Indian shaman here. He came for one of our uh, challenges and shook, but apparently it didn't take. So I, there's something going on. I, I just don't know what you want to call it. Um, they don't bother us. Just periodically stuff happens, and we just attribute it and say, well, just the spirit. Oh, so, Robert, if you don't mind me asking, I know it's a personal question. Are you religious to any yeah. extent? Well, I was raised Catholic. Uh, I suppose I'd be termed a, uh, not practicing, but I had a religious upbringing. Um, you know, Catholics might term uh, this spirits where they might be as purgatory, but if that's it, I don't know. I, uh, Brian says that there, after life, there's many, many different levels. Um, and we transition through these levels. Um, he can't tell you exactly what happens after you die, but does have the ability to, to speak to people that have died. Um, one more quick story about him. Uh, I mentioned Brian's name to a guy at work, and he said, well, I'd love to have my mom uh, have a reading. He Brian calls them readings. Oh, with his so mother. He, Dedicated to his mother. mother. 
So I said, fine, here, here's his number. I said, don't tell him anything. Don't give him any ammunition. So they met and Brian sat down with this guy's mother and said, um, I see a flyer. Uh, your father was a pilot in the war. And of course he was. And then uh, he said, uh, your father called Toot. And of course, that's a nickname. And of course, she starts crying because that was her dad's nickname for her. And then he said, he's really surprised you're doing this, especially with a person of color. Brian is black. And his, <laughs> wow. her dad was a real racist. <laughs> oh, man. So Brian's the real deal. And I, I cannot explain how he knows certain things. He doesn't have all the answers, but he, he seems to be able to talk to people that have moved on from, from this life. And that, that's, that's awesome. Um, Robert, so, yeah. We don't want to keep it too much longer. You've already, you've already devoted a significant amount yeah. of time for this, this cause. I just want to ask well, you, I'll answer any in, questions. Yeah. In, your, in your personal experience, have you ever felt threatened or, or um, just a certain malevolent, uh, or not, yeah, malevolent, that's the bad one. Malevolent is good, malevolent is bad. I'm trying to get my... Yeah, you're right, malevolent, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, have you ever have you yeah. experienced anything in that, that manner at, at, uh, at your property? No, and everyone that's been here um, that is, you know, they term sensitive, has never said that. And nothing bad has ever happened. Uh, no, I, no. There's nothing, I mean, annoyance, the door knocking in the middle of the night is, is an annoyance, but it's not <laughs> bad. It isn't, um, you know, he woke me up not too long ago at one, it's always around one forty-five in the morning. It's always seven knocks. Hmm. And of course, there's never anyone there. Um, coincidentally, uh, her, a year before all this came to light back in 96, and I say her, this is all, uh, he is the alleged killer. It was all alleged. He was never tried, convicted. Right. I uh, never even really questioned about it. So I have to say alleged. Now the police will tell you that's who did it. But um, he lived in that apartment or guest quarters, in-law quarters, for about a year. He had his wife had filed for a divorce. He was living up there with his 15-year-old son. And I happened to know um, his wife's lawyer, and he told me, yeah. Herb lived up there with the son. The kid was locking him out all the time accidentally. <laughs> and he would have to bang on the door to get in. Um, they wanted to be banging on the door to get in. Um, if you put any stock in that. But um, I'm much better on the actual history of the case and the factual part of the case. If, um, as a matter of fact, I just uh, co-authored a book with a guy named Richard Eastup, uh out of Colorado. And I did the first part of the book on the factual case card, and Richard's going to do the paranormal. Okay, so seven or eight books. Okay, so um, is the book actually out there for purchase, or you guys? It's not yet. Not yet. It it should be. They were hoping for a a release date around October. Uh, Llewellyn Publishing. I I don't know. I don't even know the title of it yet. Um, The working title will be something Fox Hollow Farm. I'm I'm definitely purchasing that book. <laughs> so also I'm I'm asking another question. So yeah. Trevor Trevor and I are prone to researching. This this business is is prone to um, divulging various information and and trying to extract facts from a series of resources. And it sounds like that with with you co-authoring the book, what were what were your primary sources? Or not not primary source. I mean, um, your, your what method? Did you use to uh, conduct research on the story? Well, there's a lot of information out there if you can you know where to find it. Um, the, all the declassified FBI files, um, I, of course, all of the newsprint from the time. I have all of the original news footage from the TV stations we had to, we had to purchase for a, a DVD that was done on the property. Um, I have all of the Crime scene photos from the investigating department up here in Hamilton County. No kidding. As well as, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, they're not public yet because they were given to me um, 
under those conditions. But uh, that, and then the original lead investigator, he has since died, but um, he came out to the farm after we got here and showed me where things happened. Um, a girl did her master thesis on this property from an anthropological point of view. Uh, this was the largest case in class in the United States till that point. And it was the only case in the United States handled from start to finish by a forensic anthropologist, and we just have to have one at the University of Indianapolis downtown. Wow. So a girl did her master's thesis on the scattering of the bones. Oh, wow. That's a, that would be an awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but, I, got a, uh, I got a quick question about the, the investigators. Uh, I know we're kind of backtracking. Um, so is I want you to confirm this. So like, the, was it the Ghost Adventures crew that actually came out to your property? We had um, actual uh, you know, full-scale productions that the uh, A&E did Secret Life of a Serial Killer. That's with Bill Curtis. Okay. Um, History Channel did the Melmeister Killings. Uh, True TV uh, did, I think there was um, uh, Devils in Disguise, something to that nature. Um, These are all historical or documentary about the the case itself. Another one we did with Discovery ID was uh, Behind Mansion Wall. Those were all about the actual case. Uh, We did Ghost Adventure. On the travel channel. That's really cool. We did Paranormal Witness. That's on the Sci Fi channel. And then we did cooperate with a local filmmaker to do The Haunting of Fox Hollow. A guy named Dan Hall did that one. That's awesome. Um, so there's been a lot of a lot of television. I got a quick question about the the Ghost Adventures. Um, so I, I love the show personally, and I know Christian does too. And when we're together, we watch it most times. But it's a bonding so, experience. Yeah. So can can you explain <laughs> can you explain their career a little bit? Like it, it feels like to me some of their some of their episodes are a little bit, you know, produced or corny, you know, the word that you termed earlier. Um, um like can you confirm well, like some of their some of their <laughs> methods, I guess? <laughs> well, without um without knocking the show, I mean yeah. they're here for about five days. Um they give you a schedule. The the first um, and the Travel Channel is the network. They contract with two production companies to actually produce the episode. Right. So um, a group came from California. A group came from New York. They moved here. Um, and the first thing that happened was when they came here, they they scout the location. They look to see where things are, what they need to do as far as filming it. The second day, the host that you would know as mm-hmm. Zach, Aaron, and um, Zach, Aaron, and uh, now I've forgotten the other guy's name. I can't, I can't think. Uh, of it. <laughs> well, that name Zach, that name recall is impeccable. Yeah, I did remember there. yeah Zach, Aaron, and uh, yeah, anyway, um, they showed up and uh, they they talked to us and. Uh, they just, and you can see, there was really nothing edited out of our interviews with Zach and those guys. That's pretty much the way it happened. Right. And then the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, they film what they call B-roll. That is all of the recreation. Okay. So those are, they recreate essentially our experiences. And then Friday is the lockdown night. Okay. This is the night where they're in the house alone. Uh, we are not allowed in the house. No one's in the house. And it started around 8 o'clock and went to about 3.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you I was not there. You know, I can obviously go to the show. Mm-hmm. But um, they took these instances of what they term evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as you know, they're very nice people. I, you know, I can't say anything bad about. Them. Yeah, right. I, I wasn't trying to say that what they do is fake or anything like that. I mean, yeah, it just seems like you know some things seem you know, dramatized. Yeah, a little bit dramatized, you know, or oh, well, it's, exaggerated. Yeah. But but it's a TV show well, at the, the end of the day. So. 
You have to understand, it's entertainment. Exactly, and, exactly. Um, like I said, 75% of that show is dramatized recreation. Right, And right, then right. They, on the last night, they try to document any sort of, you know, paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Sci-Fi Channel, Paranormal Witness, have you seen that one? I don't think no, I've just, seen that one. Yeah, that, they did a very, very good job. That was not filmed here. That was actually filmed in Florida. But actors played us. Okay. And they did an excellent job. It's, it's <laughs> very, very worthwhile. No kidding. You've never had an actor play you. It's, it's rather surreal. You've, you've made it. You know, that, is, that is the greatest well, battery, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, they didn't get anyone well known because all of these shows claim no budget. Yeah, and exactly. it wasn't bad. I know. Yeah. I, I, no, uh, it was not. Uh, I was, uh, but um, you know, I think a budget for Ghost Adventures might have been one hundred eighty thousand yeah. dollars. Right, yeah, um, that's actually produced. Like I said, a production company makes that for the Travel Channel. <laughs> um, matter of fact, the guy that filmed our episode, he lived with the Osbournes for about five years. A guy named Mike Scott. He. Uh, has his own uh, filmography, film filmographer. That's his job. Huh. He'd actually lived with the Osbournes for five years. Well, that's wow. an acid test right there. <laughs> he said they're wonderful people, and he said there's no acting exactly the way they are. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Trip. But uh, you can see all of those on, on YouTube. Yeah. Um, there is a book, not my book. It was written in 1997 called Where the Bodies Are Buried. Right. Um, that is actually very good. It's factual. Um, that'll give you a lot of background uh, uh, one, on, one on last, the case. One last question. Yeah. I have, because I, I know we, we've utilized enough of your time and it, it's, it's very precious. Yeah. No. Um, do you believe there are any bodies left and discovered on the on the property, or do you think that they've all been been recovered? Well, no. Uh, uh, the phone count was around fifty five hundred, right? And that's bones and bone fragments, bones that you could identify as human, and then small fragments. They estimate they got fifty percent. So um, the area is so large that it's just, I won't say impossible, but it's impractical to do the search. Right. And we still, to this day, find, find remains. That's crazy. So, you, you personally, you and your wife. Yes. I mean, we, we don't go looking for them, but they, they do turn up. We've well, you have a bush hog. Found. I mean, you're, you're probably tilling the fields. I don't, I, well, I, I don't know. You're manipulating <laughs> the property to some extent. And of course that, that, uh, that evidence will become known over the course of time. Well, the cruelest trick the killer did was to not bury the body. I know the book I told you was Where the Bodies Are Buried, but that's sort of a misnomer. He actually buried no one. Hmm. And animals drug these remains all over. Ah, that makes sense. So, you know, when you, when you bury something, you know, it pretty much stays, stays where it is intact. But the anthropologist told me, you know, the cruelest trick he played on us all was not burying her. And that is all always puzzling because they, you know, he had three young children. Um, how do you keep them out of the woods, which yeah. is where the bodies were being deposited. And, um, I, well, when we moved in, there was many, many empty bleach bottles found in the back in the woods. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. what he would do, he was dumping bleach on them. But, and if you research the story a little bit more, you'll find out that he did all of this in the very good weather up here. So it was warm. Bodies would decompose quickly. Mm-hmm. He also did it when the family was away. They had a lake condo in a town north of Indianapolis. And the family would go there during the good weather, stay at the lake condo. And he would, you know, go downtown and pick guys up. Right. Uh, but... Uh, and, of course, like I said, this is all alleged. Um, police pretty much tell you who did it. And they closed a lot of unsolved missing men uh, when when this was discovered here. 
They do believe he was the on 70 killer because from the period of 1980 to 1991, all these gay men were found dead along I-70, which is an interstate uh, that runs through Indianapolis towards Columbus, Ohio. They were all from the gay Indianapolis community. They were all strangled and always disappeared, like I said, during these good months. All of that stopped in 1991 which coincides when he bought this farm. Right. I read that too. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I hear so the term alleged, had, of course, yeah. I state, you know, I, I, I lied, of course, with staying the last question. You state alleged, rather rather stately. Right. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think he was the actual perpetrator? And you don't have to answer this, but... Um, oh. I, I, it's just an opinion, and, and the police have offered this in public. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the... The, the, you know, what makes a serial killer is it's a pattern. It's a pattern that keeps getting repeated. And uh, all that stopped when he, of course, killed himself. And it certainly fit a, a recognized pattern. And, you know, most of these serial killers are, are, are white, middle-aged, higher education, higher intelligent people. And he fit all of that. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, the the FBI profiler um, thought it was consistent, but all that stopped when he died. So, all right, you can draw your own conclusions, but you know, I I think uh, I side with the police. I'll tell you that that's who I think did it, and um, that's uh, that's all I know. Awesome, man. Uh, well, we really appreciate you coming on here. I know we took a lot more time than I said originally. But, <laughs> um, nope, no problem. No problem. Yeah. Part of living here. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a never ending story. Yeah. I'm sure every day something happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you get contacted a lot. Um, one thing I wanted to mention <laughs> is, you know, you're writing this book. Um, if you would like stay in contact um, with me, I, I try, I know I added you on Facebook so you can, and you have my number now. Yeah. So shoot me a message, and when you have that live, um, we'll we'll announce it on the show um, and kind of get it out there okay. for you a little bit. So we we'd love to to do that for you. And Christian and I will definitely um, be the first two to buy that book, probably. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're not we're not okay. advertisers by any means, but I mean, the 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 logic behind that would be the credibility that you've proposed tonight so i i think it definitely would be a worthwhile book to read that i would definitely endeavor to do myself well and i guess to, to sum all this up you know we didn't set out to do any of this and the guys that were killed you know he preyed on people that didn't have family that had no connections to the city because he knew when they turned up missing no one would come looking for them. And unfortunately, they were right. So they didn't get any recognition in life. The police termed them as people living at the margin of society. They were drifters, drug addicts, male prostitutes. And now they didn't get any in death. Out of all of the bodies that were found here, they only identified eight. That's incredible. Out of a potential 17 to 20. So if bringing a little light to their case and help them move on, then maybe we've done something good. But we didn't set out to do this, and we certainly don't mean to commercialize it. Um, but it may help. It may help them move on right. eventually. Exactly. And, and you so, know, hopefully with our podcast and, you know, having you on, we can kind of shed some light too as well. Um, and you I know, definitely, I, I will say this. I'm going to be honest. I was not intrigued by this case from the Wikipedia page, which is the <laughs> essential tier of us actually conducting research. Uh, because if it's not Wikipedia worthy, then then how do we know that there's enough <laughs> information well, published for well, it to be well, worthy? Well, I dove deeper it's, in, it, it, it's incredible that, and I, I think that's just, that, that that's a symptom of the Midwest, is that the Midwest is not a, uh, not a well-navigated, Force the United States when it comes to these affairs and things like that. Besides, besides Chicago, I, 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 I exclude Chicago from that, um, from that statement. Well, 
the, the key thing that didn't happen in this case was there was never a trial. Right. If you think back about all the murder cases that you know about, OJ Simpson. What makes them well known? Yeah, you come to the court. There's a verdict. There's all this evidence, and it all gets none of that happened. So it really died with him. And the case is still open technically. Um, and I turn the bones in when I find them. Mm-hmm. But that's the reason you don't hear about it. He could be potentially one of the largest or most prolific serial killers of all time. If you add in, they believe it's somewhere around 50 if you add the I-70 killings in. Mm-hmm. But we, he doesn't get the, I don't know how else to say it, the street credibility because it, it, he was never tried. And Dahmer had only and 17. Like, when I say only, I mean in regards to serial killers. In uh, reference. Well, yeah, yeah. If you add in, and we'll never know. You'll never know because, you know, he took all that with him uh, when he killed himself. But exactly. he could be one of the most prolific of all time, and certainly in the United States, uh, you know, of people that, that preyed on people and, and then bumped them. I, you know, you know, count, you know, killers that killed thousands of, you know, the Nazis and things like that. But uh, it, it's, uh, that's why you don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have to say alleged. Because, you know, unless you're convicted in a court, you know, you're innocent. Right. But he was his own judge, jury, and executioner. Um, so he, he sort of um, cemented his own uh, history there. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I, th- I think yeah. we'll end on that note. Uh, so, Robert, we, okay. we, we appreciate right. you coming on with this. Um, you know, maybe in the future we can have you back if you, you know, maybe we can come and visit the property or something. But um, seriously, sure, and it, um, it means a lot. If you ever want to speak to Joe, Joe is the renter that lives in the apartment. Yeah. Um, Joe really got the bond of the paranormal activity. Okay. And um, he, he played, he figures prominently in all the television shows. Okay. You get to watch those. Yeah, and I'm actually so. moving down uh, closer to Mooresville, so I could potentially meet up with um, the site. Oh, Martha Cook. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool too. Yeah. So. Okay. okay. Let me know. Yes. Robert, it's it's been really a privilege. Yep. It really has. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Bye. Bye.